All right, let's pray. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to stop worshiping you, Lord. You're just so worth it, Lord. You're just worth it. You're so much better than any, any words man can say. Your presence, God, I feel like tonight, like we're beginning to get a touch. And we're, we're beginning to understand what David meant when he said, one day, in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. It's like, Lord, one moment with you and we just, we don't, it's all we need just to, to be with you, to love you, to commune and to dine and to wine with you. Oh, you're beautiful. I just thank you for what you're doing in Riverhouse, God. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. What a gift. Like what a gift it is when we just get to get lost in your presence. And just like all the worries of the world fade away. <laughs> and I thank you. It's just not something we, we get to experience on Sunday evenings, but this is the invitation of a life with you. Continual bliss. Continual joy. Yeah. I love you. We love you. We love you. Can you just sing, I love you, Lord, just one time? It's just so good, you know? I love you, Lord. And I lift my One more time.
Amen. Oh, you know how happy that makes him? Jesus, we just yield to you. We say you have permission tonight to do whatever you want to do in us because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all. Well, I'm real excited uh, for tonight for so many reasons. Uh, I get to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters ever, John the Baptist, the wild guy. Um, John the Baptist, uh, you know, how many of you grew up in the church? And uh, John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for Jesus to come. He was the one who prepared the way for the coming of a king. And I, I, I remember like when I, this, just this week as I was studying, I was remembering back to when I was a kid in Sunday school and I would hear the story of John the Baptist and they always depicted this guy as like a crazy, psycho, slightly neurotic person. Right? Like this homeless looking dude that lived out in the wilderness that ate bugs and all this stuff. And like as a kid, I'm like, what? Like, I don't want to be like that guy. Like, what in the world? Any of you feel that way? Like, weird, like, picture of John the Baptist as a kid? Maybe it was just my church. I don't know. But just if any of you have, like, fear of, like, oh, no, we're talking about John the Baptist. Is pastor going to make us eat bugs? No, that's, that's not the word tonight. Um, but John the Baptist being one who prepared the way for Jesus to come uh, into this earth, uh, we have a lot to learn from him. Uh, and I actually believe John the Baptist is the prototype for how we are supposed to live as believers because as John the Baptist prepared for the first coming of Jesus, we as the bride of Christ actually have the same call to prepare the earth for the coming of Jesus again. Right, this is our gift. And tonight's sermon, it's, it's not a like signs of the time kind of sermon. But, but what I do know and what I believe is Jesus tells us that we are to like be anxious and eagerly wait for the second coming of Jesus. And he tells us to wait because actually each and every one of us like plays a very specific role in preparing the earth for the coming, for the second coming of Jesus. And I actually think this is a message that is not preached enough in the church because for 2,000 years, we just kind of got used to, well, it's probably not going to happen in our generation. It's probably not going to happen in our generation. But here's the deal. We all play a role in preparing for him to come again. We all play this vital role. And here's the deal. We live in a day and an age um, where we have so we, we have access to the greatest preachers in the whole world on YouTube. We have access to, to the greatest worship sets. We have access to the greatest theologians, both dead and alive. And, and I think something that happens with us in this age where we have like this access to all this stuff is we actually don't learn to find our own voice. And I feel like Jesus is preparing River House and he's preparing us and he's preparing me and he's preparing each and every one of you in this room to not be an echo, but to be a voice. 
Like we can learn so much from Upper Room and Bethel and Hillsong and, and N.T. Wright and all these amazing, we can learn so much from these people, but, but they absolutely cannot replace what we each as individuals can hear from Jesus ourselves. Like, like, and, and we are so, so, so easily distracted. And I feel like the Lord, even what he's doing in worship and, and how he seems to just be like disrupting our, our whole service is he, he's being like, come to me because you river house, you AJ, you church, you Jacob, you, you people, you all play a role. And I have a voice to release through you in this earth to prepare the earth for the coming of the king. Because creation is yearning and longing for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. He, creation is yearning for your voice. For Riverhouse's voice. And so, yes, we can come and we can learn from, from upper rooms and, and hill songs and Jesus image. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but if we're doing that instead of coming to the source ourselves, then we will just be an echo. And there's so many churches that are just echoes. And there's, and the reason we become echoes is because the people that we're listening to are anointed. They're anointed people of God and they're so, so gifted, but God wants to anoint me. He wants to anoint you. He wants to anoint each and every single one of us and take us into the wilderness so that we could be ones drawn away with him where he can speak to us so that we, Riverhouse, we as individuals can become who he intended us to be and reveal all of creation to the one who is worthy of revealing. Amen? And so I think we have some things to learn from John the Baptist because he's the one who prepared the way for Jesus the first time. And so let's look at this crazy guy and, uh, and learn from him. Sound good? All right, I got 30 minutes. Worship always goes long when I preach. I'm literally up here every time. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, and I'm like, I feel like a lot of people that don't have kids say, like, just preach. And I, and I think it's good. I'm down. But I'm like, my wife's pregnant, and I know she's someday going to be sitting there, AJ, shut up. We need to go home. You know what I'm saying? All right, John the Baptist. Way to make your sermon longer. Go on tangents. John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Uh, which, how cool would that be, to be Jesus' cousin? And uh, he, he is son of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Zachariah was a priest. Uh, and he would have been one who lived in the temple ministering to the Lord. Elizabeth was his wife. Uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah were older in age. They were barren. Their story actually really uh, resembles the story of Hannah in the Old Testament where they, were, where, they were, where they were barren and crying out. And one day when Zachariah was in the temple as a priest ministering to the Lord, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. 
And as the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the temple, he said, you will be given a son and he will be the one who prepares the way for the coming Messiah. So they're pumped, fired up. Yay, we're having a son. Woof. Mary, angel Gabriel shows up to Mary. You're going to give birth to Jesus. Then one day, Mary and Elizabeth are hanging out. And as they're hanging out, uh, literally John, the ba- Elizabeth's womb gets filled with joy. And John the Baptist gets filled with the spirit inside his mom's belly. Like, come on. I'm just laying hands on my little baby girl. Just like, come on, get her already, God. Blast her. You know? If you're pregnant, just and your husband, just lay your hands right now and just say, blast them, Lord. <laughs> and so John the Baptist, uh, he, he was filled with the spirit in his mother's womb. We're going to be in the book of Luke tonight. And, and so what we know so far in the book of Luke is John the Baptist is one who has set apart living in the wilderness. So here's something interesting. Is John the Baptist, dad... Zachariah was a priest, and because Zachariah was a priest, John the Baptist should have been a priest living in the temple carrying on the family business. But what we see is that John is actually not supposed to be a priest in the temple, and he's actually supposed to consecrate himself to live in the wilderness and just be there ministering to the Lord, loving him in the wilderness. He would have, uh, they said John the Baptist probably lived about 30 years in the wilderness in isolation, really by himself, just him preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. And so far, what we see in the book of Luke is John the Baptist had done his job well. He started preaching the message of repentance, and he's really, really, really frustrating the religious leaders. Uh, The religious leaders do not like the message that John the Baptist is preaching because he's telling these, these religious leaders, he's calling them brood of vipers and really intense things. And he's calling the nation of Israel to repent. And as John's in the wilderness, Jesus comes, Jesus gets baptized, the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon Jesus. The Father looks at Jesus and says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. That's all we see the interaction Jesus and John have. Jesus is driven to the wilderness and John continues his ministry in the wilderness, preaching the message of repentance. And where we are going to pick up today is John is now thrown in prison. Uh, John's public ministry probably only lasted six to 12 months. Did not last long, yet he was the one that prepared the way for Jesus to come. And so Jesus knows that John is in prison. Jesus at this time has not fully revealed himself to be the Christ. He is is healing people, doing all these things. John had a very small group of disciples. And in Luke 7, 18, this is where we're going to be. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, who is Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And so I'm going to go in and out of this. So here's John the Baptist is in prison. He's thought he has done his job really well of preparing the way for Jesus to come. And Jesus is out doing miracles, doing all this stuff. While John's in prison getting bored, he's like, Jesus, 
Are you actually the Messiah? Like, are you actually the one? And the reason he's, he actually is questioning Jesus and sends his disciples to question Jesus is because John the Baptist was expecting Jesus to be a polit- to come as a political Messiah and take over all of Israel. And so John's like, dude, I'm in prison any day now. You want to like come and like overthrow the Roman Empire? I'm on board. Okay. And so that's what's going on. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So essentially, Jesus is like, hey, go tell John what you just saw. I healed a bunch of people. Good news was preached, and tell him to not be offended with the way that I did it. Like, just trust John. Just trust the process. This is kind of a really mellow rebuke of John. Just being like, hey, I gotcha. Chill drink some water, everything's going to be okay. Don't be offended. He looks at John and says, don't be offended. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So we're in a public place. The disciples of John are starting to question Jesus for John They're watching what's going on, and Jesus has this reaction where he's like, okay, they just witnessed what was happening. They just witnessed this dialogue. Now I need to turn the attention, and I need to teach these people about John because I don't want them to miss who John is. Does that make sense? Yes? Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to do that. I know you're listening. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's court. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written, and he quotes Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. And then verse 28 is the most important verse for tonight. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So here, the whole disciple thing goes on. Jesus wants to make it very, very clear to these people concerning John. He talks to them and he says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? What did you see? What did you see? A prophet? No, this man was greater than a prophet. He was the one that was prophesied in the book of Malachi 3 that prepared the way for me. And then he says this, there is no one greater that had ever been born than John the Baptist. Like, that's a really good reputation, right? 
Up until that day, up until that point, there was no one greater than John the Baptist who had ever lived on the earth. And so I, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why was John so great? What was so amazing about John? Because the people listening would have been absolutely mind blown that this guy living out in the wilderness is the greatest human being to ever walk on the earth. Jesus is saying he's greater than David. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all the crazy prophets that prophesied all this crazy stuff. He's, he is the greatest man to have ever walked. Why? From what we know, John, there's no record of miracles in his life. There's, there's no record of signs and wonders in his life. He didn't have crazy prophetic dreams like Ezekiel and Isaiah. Like he, he, he didn't call down fire from heaven like Elijah. He didn't fight the gods of Baal and, and like do all this crazy stuff. John was a guy who lived in the wilderness. He didn't have the crazy ministry stat sheet where he's like, yeah, I got seven cancer healings, 10,000 salvations, we're good. Took down the God of Baal on the mountain? No. He was a man who lived in the wilderness. But why is he the best? Why is he the greatest? Because for the Jewish listener, they would have been like, this guy is greater than David, the man after God's own heart? This guy is greater than Abraham, the father of our faith. And why Jesus says he's the greatest man to ever exist, which is such a great reputation. Don't you want that reputation? Well, the next verse says that any, the least of these in the kingdom is now greater than he, but we're not talking about that today. To no one understand why he's the greatest, we have to understand Malachi 3 and Isaiah 40. Throughout the history of Israel, I was getting so emotional reading the Bible this week. Because if you ever notice when you read the Bible, it seems like it's the same story over and over and over again. It's God wooing, pouring himself out to his people and his people temporarily loving him back and then running away. If you read the prophets, it's the same story over and over again. God saved his people, loved his people, and they turned their backs on him. And in this time, like in the prophets, the priest... The, the holy people of the day in the New Testament in the time of Jesus, they are corrupt priests who have given themselves to politics, the promise, and religion. And they are far from God. Listen to Malachi 3. That's the context of both Malachi and the context that now John the Baptist is living in. It says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the old days, as in the former. John the Baptist was more than a prophet John the Baptist was more than a man. He was the greatest man to ever walk because he had his inheritance as a priest who could live in the great and minister to the Lord and follow in his dad's footsteps and live in the greatest temple that has ever been and minister to the Lord. But what we read in Malachi is that John the Baptist forewent his inheritance as a priest in the actual temple and went and withdrew himself to the wilderness and was a voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming king. And because he prepared prepared the coming for the coming king when the coming king comes what does he do he refines the levites the ones who are set apart to minister to him and refines them like pure gold so that their offering back into the lord could be pure like in the old days in the former John the Baptist was the greatest man to ever walk, not because of any miracles that he did, because he didn't do any that we know of. John the Baptist was the greatest man to ever walk because he chose to live in the wilderness. He chose to set himself apart as a priest, to love the Lord, to minister to the Lord, to look into his eyes and to love him. It says that he was like the prophet Elijah. But Elijah, when we talk about the prophet Elijah, we talk of all the crazy things that he had done, done like take down the gods of Baal and call down fire, change weather systems. But he was like Elijah because he was one who stood before the Lord. In the midst of a priesthood that was corrupt, he withdrew went to the wilderness and he answered God's heart that he's been crying out for, for all of creation since Adam and Eve. Am I enough for you? The singular question that God is asking throughout all of this wonderful book is, am I enough for you? Will you choose me and will you love me? Like, I love you. John was the answer to God's prayer. And he was the singular man that said yes and withdrew to be alone with God. And what I think is so powerful is John's public ministry only lasted six to 12 months. Yes, he was a messenger of repentance, but people didn't, Jesus didn't say, what did you go out to hear? What did you go out to listen to? He said, what did you go out to see? Jesus asked, what did you go out to see? Because John was the living message. John was the living message. A priest who chose to commune and live in the wilderness rather than live in his inheritance in the temple. 
He was like the Levites of Ezekiel 44 that says, I love this passage. It says, when all of Israel went astray, the Levites, sons of Zadok, remained and ministered to me, remained and loved me. This is what qualified John to be the greatest man in history is that he was one who said yes, who said yes to ministering to the Lord, to loving him and first getting right the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Amen. You see, this is, the, this is what God has wanted and desired from Adam and Eve all the way through the book. We see in, in Exodus right after, Exodus 19, right after Israel is set free from the Egyptians, from being in brutal, brutal, brutal persecution, slavery, the whole thing. They are now in the wilderness for a short time and Moses is on the mountain and this is what God speaks to them. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But time and time and time again, all God wanted to do in the wilderness to the Israel was all he wanted to do was to speak loving kindness to them and have them be the holy priesthood that he has wanted since the garden. All he has wanted since the garden is that a people who would choose to believe in him and say that he is enough and that I don't need the promises of today. I don't need the wealth. I don't need the riches. I don't need the ministry success. I don't need a, B, C, and D. All I need is him. This is what he is looking for. It's what he's been looking for in the whole book. And John was a man who lived it out. But time and time and time again, what we see in this book and what we see in our own lives is that God's people are constantly allured by promise, power, blessing, and ministry that we miss the beautiful invitation to the priestly call that is only lived out in the wilderness. And John's life shows that the wilderness is not just something to be endured, but it's actually a place we are supposed to remain. The idea that, that the wilderness is a, is a time of suffering so that I can get to promise, so that I can get to inheritance, so that I can get to blessing is not what the Bible shows us. The wilderness is the place where God draws his people out to love, to nourish, to bless, and to show them, I am all you need. You don't need what you think you need. All you need is me. And the wilderness is that place. It is not a place of, of, of simply suffering so that we can get something. Do you see that that mindset just breathes performance? To have a mindset that I have to suffer so that I can get something, does that sound like a good God? God invites us to the wilderness because that's where we find him. 
The wilderness is not so that we can get to promise. The wilderness is where we find the one who is the promise. It's the place where we find our beloved. It's the place he allures us. It's the place he speaks to us. It's the place that he wants to change and transform us. But when we get into the mindset, oh, I'm just in a season of suffering, but it's going to get better someday, we're missing it. It's, it's, it's not just a pl- Yes, I want to be clear. The, the wilderness, God does use the wilderness to, to test. And he does use the wilderness as, as trials. And the wilderness is also a place of communion. But you see, so like, yes, wilderness seasons like in Jesus and in Job and in Paul, they're definitely suffering seasons and testing seasons that God does use. But... The goal is always the same, union with him. Union with him. One with him, that I'm enough. I'm enough for you, church. Even Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus didn't need to be tempted, but he went there. The Lord, the spirit drove him into the wilderness And it's again in the wilderness. God's like, it's not to be rude. It's not to be hard. It's like, I want to show you that you can't do anything without me. That I am all you need. And what I love about John is that he never left the wilderness. He stayed there his entire life. And if people wanted to listen to him, they had to go to the wilderness. Sometimes as in the church world, we have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to withdraw to the wilderness and then I'll be all filled up and then I'll be able to come back and minister and then I'll be anointed and then I'll do this. And I'm like, well, what if you were so anointed like John that people actually went to your house, knocked on your door and said, hey, I want to just be with you hearing of this crazy man who lived out in the the wilderness just loving God and people like, I want to go watch him. Can you imagine like if this house, right? Like if we just all so embraced living in the wilderness, so embraced union and loving God, we would, and we never have, we don't promote anything, but I just believe that if we actually as a bride and as a church embraced the wilderness and chose it to be a place that we live from, not a place we have to suffer through, that we would actually begin to draw people because they would be so attracted by people who are so free that all they want to do is love God and love each other. Amen. Oh, this is so good. Like seriously, oh man. Hosea to anybody? If you ever want your heart pulled out of your chest, stabbed, tenderized, and then put back in, read Hosea. I believe this is God's, oh, this is, if you want to know what the point of the wilderness is, it's this. Hosea is a prophet who God asked to marry a prostitute to show the prophet how he feels being married to Israel. 
And the whole book is Israel cheating on God. And you hear God's heart bleeding in pain. Through the book, you hear his heart just like, I just want to be with you all throughout the book. And then like Megan, mercy, listen to our merciful God. We love to complain about the wilderness, but listen to what his perspective of the wilderness is. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her my vineyards and I will make the valley of acre, which means the valley of trouble, a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer my master. For I will remove the names of Baal from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. Sorry. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. This is God. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast mercy and in love. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know me. That's God's heart for the wilderness. It's the place that he wants to marry you. It's the place that he wants to speak to you tenderly. And it's the place that he wants to show you that he doesn't just want to be your God, he wants to be your lover. He wants to be the one who you go to when you're in need. He wants to be the one that says, I'm enough, I'm all you need. And that sounds, that kind of wilderness sounds like something I'd want to live in. You? A wilderness with God where he loves us and we love him. But we don't like the wilderness. We don't like internal wilderness uh, because it's in the wilderness that we are confronted with the question, is Jesus enough? In the wilderness is the place where our true desires will come to surface. It's in the wilderness we're confronted with the question of, do I need a ministry do I need a house? Do I need the perfect family? Do I need the nice car? Do I need people to say I'm a good preacher? Do I need people? Do I need to even use my gifts in order to feel like I'm successful or meaningful? In the wilderness is, is where all of those things come up. And this is why oftentimes we avoid the internal wilderness of barrenness, of going to quiet places, because we don't want to look at that. But what we find each and every time that we do bravely say yes to Lord, I allow you to take me to the wilderness, that I will not let 
fame and money and success and ministry and people and all these things define me. When we finally have the ability to go to the wilderness, get vulnerable before the Lord and say, search me, reveal every unclean thing in me. What we'll find is a John 15 Jesus who is saying, remain in me. I will abide in you. I will prune you. I will cut off every desire that is not of me. I will cut off every unclean desire. I will cut off your need for, for attention. I will cut off your need to, for, to ministry. I'll cut off your need. I'll, I'll cut it all off, every unclean thing, and then I will love you, and I tell you these things so that your joy may overflow. I think the church would be a lot more joyful if we stopped avoiding the wilderness. I think the joy would be, the, the joy, the church would be a lot more hopeful and look a lot more like the kingdom if we all said yes to the call, yes to the embrace of the wilderness and say, Spirit, lead me wherever you would want. And it is in our willingness to say yes to the wilderness that we prepare the way for the second coming. I think it's really, really significant to point out that John the Baptist prepared the way, the earth for Jesus to come when 99% of his life was spent alone. He actually did something in the spiritual realm to prepare the way for the coming of a king. And we're confronted with the question as a house, as a church, and as people, and as individuals, would we be okay with being a church and being people who are just called to the wilderness? And maybe we in our generation don't see the fruit of it, but our kids, kids, kids do. Would we still be willing to seek the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength if it didn't mean like I automatically get a promotion? Are we really, if we never saw a healing miracle, if we never saw, is he still enough? I'm not saying that he doesn't want to heal and he's going to withhold himself from us. I'm not saying that. But like, is our hope and our desire him? Or is it in the blessing? Or is it in the promise? Or is it in the favor? is in this sweet, sweet, sweet confrontation. I believe that if we wait long enough and we open our heart and say, God, take me wherever you want to, we will begin to find the kingdom. And we'll begin to find his face. And we will truly be able to say, it is better to be with you than be anywhere elsewhere. It is your face I seek in you alone. And I want to be very clear <laughs> for all the extroverts like me out there. 
The call to the wilderness is, is not a call to isolation. It's not a call for you to abandon your family, your responsibilities, your work, your job. That, that's not what we're talking about. Choosing the wilderness and living in the wilderness is choosing to live a life before the Lord, confronting the very things that distract us from, from not staying in the abiding place. It's not living in isolation. Trust me, if I spent alone all day, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> Ask my wife, I don't do great alone. But I'm not alone anymore because I've had two very significant seasons of trial in my life. I don't want to get too much into my story tonight. Um, but I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for my wilderness seasons. The first one I did not learn. The first wilderness season I went through, I did not learn that all I needed was his face. I just held on with all that I had just to say, I hope it gets better someday. And then that season lifted and I was like, oh, I'm living in the blessing. This is great. And then something else comes like it always does. And here I am again, finding myself rocked and dazed and confused and not knowing what to do. And, and what I, my first season that I thought was bad suffering, the second season got even harder. And on the night that I thought I wasn't going to make it, I was like, I'm going to give up. Like, this isn't worth it. I withdrew. I've told this story, I think, once other time here. But I withdrew to, like, the secret place to pray. And I was so distraught, like I didn't know what was going to happen to me and to my family and to my life. And I withdrew and I got on my knees like I did through the whole other time of, of, of suffering. And I just said, God, get me through this. I know there's promise and there's blessing and there's favor. God, let the suffering and the trials end. And I don't like sharing. And all I heard was, AJ, stand up and dance with me. He didn't tell me that anything was going to get better. But it was in that moment, in that prayer room, that I finally found that he was enough. In the wilderness, it was in that moment that I found and I testify to all of you who are going through suffering. If you embrace the wilderness, he will show you his face. And when he shows you his face, you will never long for another thing in your life because he will become honey on your lips. He will become the nourishment to your soul. He will become the shoulder that you cry on. He will be the comforter. He will speak to you tenderly and he will love you and he will nurture you back to life. And if the promises come, they come. But you find him and him is your inheritance. And what more would you need if you had God? Amen.
All right, can we bring the lights down? We're going to have some ministry time tonight. I know it's late, so if you do need to go, you can go. Um, but if Becca or whoever can come up. I, uh, whew, that one's hard. If you struggle embracing the wilderness, um, I want to make it very clear. It's, it's, it is not a call to increased discipline. It's not like insert more spiritual disciplines in your life. If you can try and keep your attention up here just for a little longer. This is where people perform their way into the wilderness and then they don't inherit the fruit. If you struggle to embrace the wilderness, it's because you need a revelation of him. And it's, you need your desire to increase and your desire for him to grow. And desire only will increase in your life as you increase in revelation of God. It's like a sport. Like if I have a revelation of how much fun fly fishing is, I'm going to increase desire for fly fishing and spend more time pursuing fly fishing. If I have a revelation of God, desire increases. You can't force desire. You need God. And, and, and the spirit of apathy is a real thing. But I believe tonight that the Lord wants to meet people. He wants to meet you. If you are apathetic, God wants to meet you. Like I'm just, he wants to meet you. I don't know if it's one of you. I don't know if it's 10 of you. I, I just know that God wants to reveal himself to you. Because he wants to be alone with you and he wants to love you and he wants to nurture you. And, and this week I, I was sharing with people on staff that I don't like altar calls. And, and I don't like altar calls because for me, an altar call as a kid was a place where I'd go get an emotional high and then I'd leave and I'd stay in the same sin all the time. And so I was the church kid that kind of just growing up that stopped going and then I just kind of sat there and, and this week the Lord confronted me and he said, no, no, no. Each and every time you went up to the altar, I touched you. That wasn't an emotional high. I was revealing myself to you. I was coming and I felt like I was supposed to, sh to share this with you because I feel like there's people in here tonight who have grown up in the church and, and you've, you used to go and come up to the altar or, or you're a ministry leader and you don't feel like you can come up to the altar because you know, God's just not going to meet you or it's not going to actually lead to anything. But like God can do what he wants and but what he does need is an open heart. He needs an open heart. And so I feel like there's, there's two groups of people that the Lord wants to minister to tonight. He wants to minister to those who are in a wilderness and suffering season and can't see him. If you're suffering in any way, I don't care how small it is. I don't care if it's family trauma. I did feel like if you can't get pregnant and it's causing you some like serious, serious depression, come please, like any kind of wilderness season of suffering, family trauma, whatever it is, I want you to come up. Even right now, just please just come up. God wants to meet you. If you're having marriage problems, if 
suicide or depression is going on in your life, I encourage you to come up. If you're having a health crisis, if you feel like you're in a wilderness because your gifts aren't being activated and you just feel bored at church, you feel like you don't know what to do. If you're having a family friend that's a family problem that's just not, that just doesn't seem to get better, come up. And then I also just want those to come up. Um, and then prophetic ministry team, come up and just begin to minister to everyone up here. Um, but I feel like God really wants to increase your desire for him, which means he really wants to reveal your, himself to you. And if you feel like you're apathetic and that you're stuck and that you just don't feel like you're being used and that you're you're just bored. You're just bored with God. You're bored with church. You're just not doing well. You're just apathetic. We've all been there. You know, apathy's not anything to be ashamed of. It's something for us to come as a church alongside and attack. And God wants to reveal himself to you. And so if you're apathetic, struggling with desire, I want you to invite you on up. And so, Lord, and then you're free to go whenever, but we're just going to stay in this place. And, and I encourage you just in the room, like if you're going to stay and if you're up front, um, I want you to just tell God, like, I'm here for you. Just begin to ask him to reveal himself to you.